All right, well, we are in week two of our walk through the book of James as we explore living faith. We want our trust and our faith in God to be alive in our hearts, our minds, our spirit, and moves us to a life of faithfulness. And today we're looking at perhaps one of the most uh, challenging and difficult concepts of Scripture, and definitely in the book of James. It's the relationship between faith and action. Before we jump into that, uh, speaking of action, I've got a call to action for our congregation. Uh, Since COVID, uh, churches in our area have been trying to find a way to unite in purpose, to unite in support and encouragement of one another, to support, uh, to unite in in mission. And a couple of uh, years ago, we decided to call ourselves the Church United. There's 12 of us, including Get Well, 12 churches joined together united in encouragement and support, but also in ministry. And recently, in one of our conversations, we felt like it was time for us to unite in purpose in a way to bless our community. So on October the 21st, that's a couple of Saturdays from now, uh, we're going to unite with 11 other churches, calling ourselves Church United, and we're going to bless our community uh, in Olive Branch, in South Haven, in Horn Lake, And our purpose is to unite together to to find people who are in real need. And so we have been looking at households that have code violations on their property and they're unable to do anything about it. Maybe it's because of age, maybe it's a single parent, maybe they just don't have the financial means to take care of it. And so we're going to send people out, not just from Get Well, but from all 12 churches in our community. Uh, And it's not going to, you know, have a Get Well t-shirt on. Uh, It's nothing like that. But we just want to be united in purpose with the churches in our community community say, hey, we want to love you in the name of Christ. So here's what I'm asking you to do. You got a QR code on a little uh, center section of your bulletin, and you can go to that QR code. You can sign up to serve, and there's, I think, four different ways that you can serve. You can uh, do landscaping. You can uh, do minor building projects, maybe like building, uh, fixing a fence or a shed or something like that. Uh, You can be on a prayer team. Or we're going to try to uh, um, involve the kids and do lemonade stands. Oh, and there's a fifth one. Or you can do uh, wash cars. So there's plenty of opportunities for you to, to be able to serve. And we want you to do that. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. We've got a little promo video uh, that we want to show you as well. So if you look at the screen.
All right, so you'll see that QR code there on the screen. You've got it in your bulletin. Uh, let's represent Get Well. Let's uh, show up and serve our community. October 21st, we'll be gathering at the Bank Plus Amphitheater at 8 o'clock. You'll get a Church United t-shirt and directed to the place you're going to serve for that morning. And we're going to serve somewhere from around 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, so let's, let's serve our community in the name of Jesus. All right, well, today uh, we are talking about, uh, it's complicated sometimes, the subject of how does faith relate to action? What's the relationship between faith and works? And this is such a difficult concept uh, as we read through the book of James that in history, uh, church leaders and theologians have really struggled with this. In fact, the great reformer Martin Luther did not even want the book of James to be included in the Bible because of one of the, the topics we're going to talk about today where James says faith without works is dead. But I want you to see today that uh, this is not heresy. It actually is truth. He's not contradicting any of the letters of Paul. He's not contradicting the Gospels. But what we're going to find is that James is doing something that we see often in Scripture, and he's holding things in tension. So think of Scripture often as like a big rubber band. And it often takes uh, subjects that seem to contradict one another. And, and let's just all agree that God is the God of the impossible. And God over and over and over seems to do the impossible and taking things that seem to contradict like uh, truth and love, uh, things like grace and holiness or repentance and unconditional forgiveness, uh, things like Jesus came and he was fully God and fully man. And we take these things and we think that they should be separate, but they, they can't be separated. They, as much as you pull on it, they join with one another and you can pull and you can pull and there's tension there, but you can't pull them apart. And this topic of faith and works of hearing the gospel, but also doing and living it out, it, it may feel like they're separate, but what we're going to see is that though, though there's a tension there and you can pull and you can tug, they're held together. All right, so you guys ready to dive in? Let's take a look. So James chapter 1 Verse 21, that's where we're going to start. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn there. You can also follow along on the screens behind me. All right, James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. All right, let's jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 14. Now, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. 
You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. All right, so as you read these words of James, not only as you look at it in relationship to the letters of Paul or the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even within what we just read, it feels like there's contradictions all over the place. You know, accept the word that saves you, but can a faith without works save you? Uh, faith is dead without action, and we've got Abraham saved by his belief and faith, but he was made righteous by his action. Like, James, what in the world? And here, he, James is holding these things in tension, and we feel like they should be separated, but they can't. Now, what in the world is James doing here? Well, it helps us to understand that part of what James is doing, he's writing, number one, to the church. He's not writing to unbelievers trying to convince them to follow Jesus. He's writing to people who have already made a commitment to follow Jesus, and he's helping them to understand what that looks like. But number two, James is also doing something that it, it's very helpful if we understand, and he's taking these theological concepts that make up the whole of our understanding of salvation, and he's weaving them together in this tapestry that sometimes we don't understand when he switches from one concept to the other. And it will help us if we can kind of see where James is shifting from one place to another. So specifically, I want us to look at four theological concepts that James addresses just in this passage that we read a moment ago. So four theological concepts. The first is what we call soteriology. And soteriology is basically the study of salvation. How is it that I'm made right with God so that sin and death no longer have a hold on me, but I'm made right in my relationship with God so that I have the hope of heaven and eternity with God? That's one of the things James talks about. Another element that he talks about is what we call eschatology. And this is basically the study of the end times. What happens when Jesus comes back? And then when he comes back, what's going to happen to me? What will I experience? Uh, what will happen around me when Jesus comes back? A third element that James is talking about is what we call justification. And this is basically God's legal declaration that you are relationally innocent of sin. So in other words, when we have faith in Jesus, God looks at us despite whatever behavior might have been taking place. And he says, because of Jesus and his work on the cross that we receive by faith, when God looks at me and he looks at you, a child of God made righteous by faith, all he sees is the work of Jesus. 
And we are made right with God in relationship. We are justified by Christ, what he did on the cross and rising from the dead so that my relationship with God is restored. But God loves us so much that he doesn't just stop there, but he sends the Holy Spirit to live in us and begins an actual change in us. And this is the fourth element that James talks about. It's sanctification, meaning God's intentional act of grace through the Holy Spirit to make me actually innocent of sin. In other words, the Holy Spirit indwells me when I confess faith in Christ and follow him where my thinking begins to change. My feeling begins to change. My will begins to change. Listen, this is key, not because of my effort, but because of the grace of God that brings the Holy Spirit to live in me. Just by the presence of the Holy Spirit, I begin to be transformed that I actually look more and more like Jesus day in and day out. And the struggle that we have sometimes with the book of James is that he weaves in and out of all four of these elements. And so I want to begin to teach us of how to recognize what James is doing as he's talking about the relationship between faith and works. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at three big statements that James makes. And I'm going to show you how he breaks this apart, uh, each of these elements showing up at a different time. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, so here we go. Here's the first statement that James makes. He says, I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by effort, not by my actions or behavior. I'm not earning it. It is a gift of God that I'm saved by trusting who Jesus is and what he did for me. Let me show you where he says this. Chapter one, verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and do what? And humbly accept the word planted in you. That's the gospel, the good news about Jesus, which can do what? Save you. So James is not arguing with Paul. He's not arguing with the gospels. He's starting here at the foundation that it is the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, the, the gospel, when we accept it and receive it, that saves us. Saved by the grace of God through faith alone in Jesus alone. Let me give you an example. Think about Luke chapter 23. The gospel of Luke chapter 23. Jesus is on the cross. And if you remember the story, he's got a man on his left and a man on his right. Three crosses, Jesus in the middle. They're all being crucified. The only difference between Jesus and the other two men is that they deserved it and Jesus was innocent. And you have two responses from these two men in their interaction with Jesus. One of the men says, hey, guess what? I will believe in you and I'll have faith in you if you get us down off of these crosses and show us your power. Is that real faith? No, that's a conditional statement. The other man on the other side of, the, of, of Jesus on the other cross says, Jesus, I know who you are. Not only are you innocent, but you're the son of God. So will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And what did Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. And that was it. That's all he said. Jesus didn't back that statement up and say, oh, wait, wait one second. Have you been tithing? 
Have you been helping the poor? Have you been saying your prayers? Have you been living out the commandments? He doesn't ask this man any of that. Solely on his statement of faith. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is the beginning point. And if we don't start here, it really doesn't matter where we go. Nothing else matters until we receive the saving work of God through faith. This is where James is talking about uh, soteriology, how we're saved, how we come into relationship with God, how we have the hope of heaven. And he's talking about justification. The receiving of the word of God, the good news of Jesus is how we're justified with God, not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus has done. So he talks about those first two elements, saving, soteriology, restoring the justification, but he's got these other two parts to talk about as well. So where does he talk about that? Well, we keep going. He makes a second statement and he says, not only am I saved, but I'm also, I'm blessed by grace through the transformation of the Holy Spirit. That God is going to do a work in me, not just to save me, but also to change me. Not just to redeem me and restore me in relationship to him, but to redeem me and restore me to the life that I can have with him and in him. And where does he say this? Well, we go back to chapter 1, verse 25, and then we're going to jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 14. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be what? Blessed in what they do. And then he's got some really difficult, troubling statements. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, didn't he just say in chapter 1, verse 24, that we're saved by the word of God? Well, what's he talking about here? Well, we keep going. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about it, their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What are you saying, James? You just told us that we're saved by the good news of Jesus, by the word of God. And now you're saying that we've got to add actions to that? Now understand, Paul, I mean, uh, James is not saying faith plus anything equals salvation. He's talking about an entirely different timing element of our relationship with God. He's not talking about soteriology being saved or justification being restored to God. In this moment, he's talking about a different time in our experience with God where he's saying what's going to happen at the end when Jesus comes, the eschatology, and how is God working to change me, the sanctification. See, James is pointing out a reality, reality to us that many of us as Christians in our part of the world forget. And that's that just like the rest of the world, even those of us who follow Jesus are going to face a judgment. Now, we're not going to face a judgment of condemnation. Paul tells us clearly there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We've already dealt with that. We're saved by faith. 
It is sealed. It's done. When we trust in Jesus, we are restored to relationship with him. We're justified by the blood of Jesus. So it's not a, a judgment that the unbeliever will face, but it's a judgment that the believer will face. And even though we're saved by grace, we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to account for every single thing we do in this life. But here's the good news. As the only one that will count, as Jesus say, we, says, we will be judged for our acts of faithfulness and be rewarded for our acts of faithfulness in this life as we trust him. Throughout scripture, uh, we're told of this encounter that we'll have with God where we will receive a crown. And the word for crown, it's the word Stephanos. And it literally means a crown that a victor would receive when they've won a race. So it's not purely a gift. It's something that you work toward and receive. And scripture tells us that at the end, when Jesus comes again, we will receive a reward for our faithfulness. And the saving that James is talking about is this moment. He's saying, is your faith, even though it might get you into heaven, is it gonna do anything for you when you stand before God if you don't live it out? If you're not surrendered, if you're not trusting with your life? And he says, a, a faith like that that isn't lived out just like a body without a spirit is dead, that kind of faith is dead. It's useless. It's no good to anybody. And so James would come back and he would remind us that the faith that saves and the faith that transforms, you can't pull them apart. They belong to one another. You can tug and you can pull, but they belong to one another. And so he, he really... He sums it up with a third statement that he makes, and it's that faith and works are connected. They belong to each other. Look at James chapter 2, verse 20. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were doing what? They were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Again, James is not talking about the moment of salvation where we're restored to God. He's talking about what flows from that. That's going to make a difference through the rest of our life when we stand before God. Let's go back to that man on the cross in Luke 23. He makes the statement of faith. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And based on that statement of faith, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. But let me ask you a question. What if that man could have gotten down off the cross? What if he had had another 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years to live? What would his life have looked like? He would have cared for the poor. He would have been baptized. He would have entered the church. He would have shared the good news of Jesus because he would have been filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and beyond, and he would not be able to not be changed by the presence and the power of God. The faith that saves, the living faith held together. 
James says a faith without that kind of living out, it's useless. It's useless to who? Well, number one, it's useless to you and me because I am going to stand before Jesus and a faith that doesn't express itself in loving faithfulness and loving action is not going to do me any good when I stand before Jesus and answer to him for the rewards that are waiting for me. But it's also useless to everybody else around me. And I will make no impact in this life. And I don't know about you, but I can't bear the thought of standing before my Savior and realizing I'm going to be with him for eternity and, and having to say, I did nothing for you. And I lived it out with minimal of any impact. See, the calling upon us is too important for us to have a faith that doesn't move us to surrender to God. Let me, let me give you a little example. I'm going to invite a couple of friends up. And we're going to show you kind of what this might look like. So I got my friend Hunter. You guys know Hunter. Everybody say hi, Hunter. Hi. Now, Hunter made the big mistake a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Of telling me that one of his deep fears of life that he had not dealt with was this thing that you kind of do at camps and, and leadership trainings, the trust fall. You know what I'm talking about? And up until this point, he's not been willing to follow through on the trust fault. And guys, you know, I'm a, I'm a loving guy and I'm just, I'm here to help. And I want to help us work through our fears. I don't want us to be held captive to the things that we're afraid of. And so I know that Hunter has faith in me. He trusts me. So I'm going to help him out. You, do you trust me? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. So yes. if, you, if you turn the face that way, you don't need to worry about what's behind you. Okay. And I'm going to invite my son, Jude. All right. So Jude's going to stand right here. All right. And Hunter, because you trust me, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have you fall back and Jude's going to catch you. Are you good with that? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Well, so let's try something different. So Jude, you can head over there. All right. Let me bring over David. Everybody say hi, David. All right, so we're going to try something different because I guess for you to be able to fully trust me, you need to, to know with certainty that whoever's behind you has the strength and ability to carry you. Please. Okay. So I'm going to have both David and I, we're, we're going to be here and together we're gonna, you're going to fall back and you're, we're going to catch you, okay? And you guys are going to help. We're gonna, I'm going to count to three and on three, Hunter's going to, he's going to fall back because of peer pressure. Yes. He's can't, <laughs> You're can't all witnesses. not do it now, right? All right, so you ready? All right, here we go. All right, one, two, three. <laughs> Woo, all right. Yeah, we're a little further behind this we time. <laughs> so that's not just to embarrass Hunter, although that was a, a cool little element too. Here's the thing. Is faith... While you're standing still, it's not really faith. You might say, I, can, I trust you, Lord. But until you know that God is strong enough to bear you, to carry you, to hold you, until that faith begins the movement to fall into his arms, until that faith moves you to surrender, until that faith creates action in your life, is it really faith? Faith. 
And so we need a faith that takes hold of us and moves us. Now, I don't want us to, to misunderstand what I'm saying. So let me just close out and, and make it just as crystal clear as, possibly, as possible as I can. I'm going to give you a false teaching so that you know how to watch out for it. And then the true teaching of the gospel. So here's two false teachings that we are prevalent in our world. One says that I start with what I do and that'll bring me salvation and then that brings faith. And most Christians are not going to just come out and say that they believe this, but sometimes we can even turn our belief into a work. Well, God, I'm believing all the right bullet points here. You owe me salvation. No, salvation is a gift of God that we receive by faith and faith alone. And so it's never about my effort or my pedigree or my reputation. It's not any of that. It is the gift of God that comes by faith. So we have to reject this view that works can precede salvation. But there's also the other end of the spectrum that's equally false. And that's where we believe that just faith alone is going to bring me eternal reward. That is a false teaching. Faith alone will bring salvation where I'm restored to God and and I will spend eternity with him. But it might just stop there and that's all we receive is eternity in heaven, eternity in the new creation, which thank God, right? It is so much better than the alternative. And, And I get to be with my creator and I get to worship him forever. But God is so loving and so gracious and so good. He says, I also want to give you eternal reward. And that's not just by the faith alone. It's by living faith when you respond to me with your life. So what's the true gospel? Saving faith looks like this. It begins with faith and faith alone. I trust you, Jesus. You are who you say you are. You did what you say you did. You did it for me. I'm a sinner. I need you. I cannot fix my life. I can't do anything about my sin problem. Would you save me? by what you've done. And that faith opens us to receive the gift of salvation. But that gift of salvation, just like the man on the cross, if he could have gotten down off that cross, his life would have been changed forever and works flow out of the transformation that happens in us. It is the, the fruit is the sign of what God has done for us. And that faithfulness brings eternal reward. This is the gospel that we've received. And so I want us to be crystal clear. So if this is what God has done for us, we need to reflect on, are we living into this truth? And so let me close out, give you three quick questions. We're just gonna run through them one after a time, one after another, of evaluating our life, if you dare, right? So look at my life. Number one, do I trust Jesus with my life and eternity? Do I really trust him? Or is it, I I trust a church, a preacher, a, a, a set of doctrinal beliefs? Or my effort? Or do you really trust in Jesus? Number two, am I any different because of my faith? Do you have a living faith that's moved you to surrender, to move you to say, Lord, here's my life. Do with it what you will. Do I look any different from anybody else on planet Earth? Guys, there are a lot of people trying to be good. A lot of people are trying to live moral, ethical, good lives trying to do more good than bad, trying to be a nice person, trying to do things that that help other people. But without Jesus, our eternal destination is hell. But does my life look any different because of what Jesus has done for me? 
Are there things that I'm doing that, that are set apart only because Christ has got a hold of me? And then number three, do I anticipate answering to Jesus? Because you will. Even as we enter into the, the, the promise of heaven, even as we come into God's new creation, when Jesus comes again, we will still stand before Jesus and answer for our lives. Do we live in anticipation of this? Do we live with an expectation of it? Do we live with the awesome reality of that? Not only that I'll stand before him, but he'll, he'll say to us, his children who've been brought in by his work, based on every act of faithfulness, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant.